What's up, creeps? Welcome to one of the most important episodes of the Epic Film Guys podcast ever to be recorded. Upon this recording... Did you say upon? <laughs> like you were born in the fucking... Upon this recording. Upon like this recording. 15th century We are... Upon this recording. Upon this digital recording. We are approaching the 25th anniversary of Halloween H2O, which coincides with the 45th anniversary of John Carpenter's Halloween. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm Justin. I'm Jeremy. And we are once again blessed to be joined by our good friend Phil from the Spook House podcast. What the fuck is up, dude? Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about Halloween. I was uh, very excited when you asked me to do this earlier. You want to talk about H2O? You got it. I'm here. Yeah. You're the right guy for the job. Um, new this metal, was a very whatever you dude, want. <laughs> I, was about to, I was about to say you were like, "What the fuck is up?" What's this laugh for? What the fuck is up? There, there it is. I was about to say, Justin, <laughs> we were just talking about new metal pre-show, so like you said, "What the yeah, fuck yeah, up?" Yeah. What the fuck is up? Phil? It should have been like, "What the fuck is up, Phil?" <laughs> well, just wait until they hear our new band, Jeremy. They're gonna be all about it. I ah, wonder what amazing. new metal albums came out in the same month that this movie came out. This was '98, so maybe maybe Soul. August of '98. Oh, yeah, dude, mean, Soulfly! Maybe. Holy shit, I was so into them. Yeah. What I'll you- make you bleed. <laughs> oh shit, with the fucking Fred on that track. Oh my god, so good. Such a good song. Amazing fucking album. But we will get to new metal as much <laughs> as we can. There's not much new metal on the actual soundtrack. There is some Creed. There's some R&B, but we are here to celebrate the anniversary of H2O. And Jeremy, I know you and I in particular have uh, a deep history with this movie in terms of um, how it opened us up to the Halloween franchise yep. at an early age. Phil, we'll get to because I want to be surprised, but I'm going to throw it to you first and you can throw it back to me. Did you see H2O in theaters and what was it like for you as your first experience watching this movie? Oh, for me? For, for Jeremy. Oh, first. okay. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know who the fuck you were talking to. I was like, all right. Uh, <laughs> I said your name. <laughs> Say my name. Boy. Um, dude, yeah, I know. I saw this uh, opening night. I will never forget. I was in Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, I was at the beach with uh, my parents. So anytime I think of Halloween H2O, I think of being at the beach. I think of all the delicious beach food. I think of Fruitopia. Like, I like Ooh, I just nice. dude the hotel that we were staying in had a Fruitopia soda machine and like vending machine or whatever and I remember remember those commercials those commercials were like heavenly dude, dude. amazing like br- hashtag bring Fruitopia back so they made drinking that shit feel like you were having sex while you were guzzling fuck yeah it down. that's exactly what it was like though <laughs> so like uh, went and saw Halloween H two O my dad brought me it was the first Halloween movie I had ever seen in theaters um. Man, I I was so pumped because, like, there had been, you know, a few years of no Halloween films. And, um, it, like, again, it was the first one that I could go and see in a theater. And I was just so pumped. And, I you know, I knew that Jamie Lee Curtis coming back was special, even though, like, yeah, you know, it, it hadn't been that long that Jamie had been away from the Halloween franchise for me because, you know, catching these movies not as they came out. Um, for, for yeah, the we original didn't, we, ones. We didn't really understand, we didn't understand the timeline and how long it had been since, no, you know, Halloween No, so two. I, you know, my dad took me to see the movie. It was sold out, you know, screening. The energy was insane. Um, Michael Myers was fucking Michael Myers in this movie. Um, having, you know, rewatched it, uh, recently, even like Chris Durand is such a good Michael Myers. So as I was fucking dude, love him, fucking so, love him dude, his Michael mannerisms Myers. are like, I would say probably as close to Nick Castle as any of the other Michael actors. You know what? I, I got to stop you real quick. I don't mean to cut okay. you off. I got so much shit a few years ago for saying the same thing on the Twitter sphere in the Halloween verse, if you will. And people came at me hard and viciously and claimed he was the worst oh, version of shit. the shape, a.k.a. Poor Michael shit. Myers. And I was like, what fucking movie did you watch, dude? Seriously. <laughs> dude, so, uh, 
Yeah, so I, I I love the movie, and I remember we got back to the hotel, and I was so fucking high on it. I'm like, you know, spoiler alert, I'm like, Laurie Strode chopped off fucking Michael Myers' head. Like, that's it. Spoiler that's alert, it. by the that's way. That's it. So what's also <laughs> cool. years later. Yeah, so what's, what's also cool is that uh, my aunt worked in, like, a record store at the time, and so they came out with, like, a... Uh, like when when the VHS for this came out, um, I think maybe there was like a double set with like Halloween and Halloween H two O or something like that. I either way, there were T shirts that her record store were given to like the employees as like a promotion for it. Um, so it said like Halloween nineteen seventy eight to nineteen ninety eight, like twenty years anniversary. Tell me you still have. I still that have shit. it, dude. Yeah, I still have it. Nice. Um, oh. I still have it. So like, dude, it's so fucking rad. And I just remember being like, it was the first horror movie t-shirt that I ever owned was that shirt. Cause I was in like eighth grade at the time or some shit like that. Me too, man. Me yeah. Too. I was like Me in too. eighth grade. Yeah. So it was like, oh man, I own a horror movie Halloween t-shirt. I just saw the shit in theaters and Laurie Strode chopped off Michael Myers head. I'm fucking pumped. Like, dude, it was great, yeah. man. I feel like your story and mine and I'll make mine as quick as I possibly can, are very similar. Up until this point, I had only seen the original Halloween, and I had seen Halloween 6. But I had never seen a Halloween movie in theaters before, and it was opening night. It was the Vestal AMC. Me and my friend Nate Clark, um, my grandmother dropped us off to see the movie. I remember that much. And I'll never forget when... Laurie Strode chops off Michael Myers' head. We jumped out of our seats, stood up out of our seats, literally fully stood up, and we were like, no! Because, I mean, at that point, we were like, does this mean he's like going to die or we're never going to see any more movies in the theater with this dude? Um, it was one of the most exciting, entertaining, I mean, memorable moments of my teenage movie-going life, and um, it's stuck with me since. I will say, a few years later, in my graduating year of high school, um, I was in a metal band, and a lot of other metal bands were in town for a tour, and we had played a show the night before, and we were all there for a midnight screening of Halloween Resurrection. Mm. I will leave that story for another time, but you can all pretty much expect what the outcome was from that as we left the theater. But I will move on to our guest, Phil Dude, what was what was it like? When did you first see Halloween H two O twenty years later? And I was it in theaters? Was it at home? It was in theaters. Um, I was ten years old, so I had to get my mom to take me. But yeah, I was very stoked for it. This was a huge movie at the time. Like this was, this crushed it at the box office. There was a huge build up to it, and yeah, I just remember seeing the movie and raving about it the following day about the ending and all of that. And, um, yeah, it still holds a very special place in my heart. When I watch it now at age 35, I do see a lot of problems with it that I didn't pick up on when I was 10 years old, of course, but I'll always, I'll always have a soft spot for this movie. Um, but yeah, um, that was the first time I saw it. So, uh, fun fact: the theme to this movie is my wake up alarm. Like, w- like in the beginning of the movie, where like the the titles are, are going, the orchestral. The, yeah, theme. that that has yeah. been my my wake up alarm for probably five or six years now. Because it it's perfect because it starts off so light. It's like. Yeah, Wait, are little... you telling me? Are, are, are you talking about John Ottman's piece of the score, or Marco are you Daltrami? talking about what, what what piece of the music Dude. are you talking about? Because we know how many different pieces of music from different the movies only, are in interjected. The only uh, piece of score that they used from the one uh, uh, composer's uh, score, basically. John yeah, Ottman's John score. Ottman okay. score. The um, orchestral title theme is is my my wake-up alarm clock. It's fucking fantastic, man. I, I, you know, um, I was going to wait to talk about that aspect of the movie because we all know, um, in, in retrospect, when we were younger, none of us thought about different masks or different 
versions of the score and hey we're hearing marco beltrami's scream score and mimic we're hearing this we're hearing that you know um <clears throat> all different kinds of things that were melded together to make this movie work um but now in retrospect we know what went into making this movie get released um all thanks to patrick lussier the editor on the movie um and in particular, Sean Clark, your friend Jeremy, um, who we've had on the show a few times, when he did the Halloween box set for Shout Factory, he got everyone involved that he could uh, to do the bonus features to talk about making the movie and what it was like and what they had to do to make the movie work. Uh, you know, Steve Miner at that point had already left production to go make Lake Placid. He had done what he had to do. The music, yes. Um, <laughs> it's wild to think. Um, there is an actual album of John Ottman's music that he created for the entire movie that you can listen to. Uh, there's only about 20% of it used in the actual film. I like a lot of it. It doesn't all work. I can definitely see why they looked at it. And apparently we're going to mention this name, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's a sore spot for a lot of you. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, this was a dimension movie. He had a lot of say over this movie. And he probably um, had basically all of the say over the movie. All yeah. of the say. And he did not like the John Ottman score. John Ottman has gone on to do plenty of amazing things with other scores. He's a great composer, great conductor. He writes beautiful music. But when he and Steve Miter met for the movie, they both agreed to do like a Hitchcockian style score for the movie. And Ottman took that literally and like looked back at old, you know, Bernard Herrmann scores and was like, let's make this really almost, I hate to use the word fruity, I mean, it's just all over the place. And, you know, when you listen to the score by itself, you're like, I don't know what the fuck the movie is. This is being scored to. But they tried their best to interject as much as they possibly could into the movie and making it work. And I still think, you know, watching the movie now, 25 years later, some of the music works really fucking I'd well. like to see that I cut, mean, man. Like, put all the original music yeah. back in. I want to see what that what that looks like. Well, I mean, if you watch if, if you watch the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray, um, they give you scenes, you know, brief scenes with uh, the elements of his score still intact, but at the same time, it's not like this, you know, the full scenes we see within the movie, yeah. if you will. But I mean, it, it it does not connect. And like Patrick said himself, it was like. It's good music in its own right, but it's just not good music for a Halloween movie. In particular, this was coming hot on the heels of Scream and Scream 2, and I know what you did last summer. I mean, the slasher, if you will, was in vogue again. So what they were attempting to do was what every filmmaker should, every producer should, is go, why the fuck would we not resurrect Michael Myers? I mean, I'm actually shocked that at the time they didn't resurrect Jason and Freddy at the same time. Um, but luckily, what we got here was, I, I feel like, a, a great representation of Michael Myers in you know, a sequel that is direct to part two, which ignores Halloween 3, ignores Halloween 4, Halloween 5, and Halloween 6. A lot of fans were pissed off at the time. You know, Phil, you're a fan that is the, I mean, I would dare say one of the biggest fans of Halloween 6 that I know. How did that make you feel that they skipped Halloween 6 in the continuity in those previous sequels? Um, I get why they did it, because the series had become very muddled at that point, and um, bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back, it just kind of made sense. I mean, did I put that together when I was 10? I don't remember, but I just, I was just hyped to see a, a Halloween movie in the theaters. I mean, yeah, I love part six, but I mean, I think it was the right call to just skip all that and focus on Lori. And I wish they had kept it in Haddonfield. I will say that. Um, but yeah, I think they made the right call there. The writer, Robert Zapaya, had said that initially when he was contacted to write 
the story slash script, it was initially meant to be like a continuation of part six slash like a direct video feature. Yeah, it was, an, it was not and, going to go to theaters. Yeah, and then as he continued to write it, it, it developed. This is, you know, it, it continued on through Scream, Scream 2, as I just said a few moments ago. And then, you know, horror movies were in vogue again. Then Jamie's like, sure, I'll do it. And then they had to rewrite the entire thing uh, to involve Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode having a initially son, it was an all girls school and the, all yeah. girls school. That's right, yeah. which would have never worked for this. <laughs> it movie. would have been fucking rad, yeah. though, man. I I do like that concept. And wasn't the but final then, showdown like at the the high school gymnasium pool? I think so. Laurie yeah, and Michael? yeah, 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 yeah. Which I have you guys read the book? Um, Taking shape, I own it's it. Pretty much, yes. I own it. Jeremy, actually, okay. You you gifted it to me. It's sitting right over here. Okay, so it's yeah, kind of like the me. Halloween series Bible. Yeah, I've read the whole yeah. thing, and I was skimming through. Uh, shout you know, out to shout chapter. out to Dustin McNeil. Yeah, He's one of my buddies. It's a great yeah. book. Yeah, any any Halloween fans, you have to pick up that book because it goes into great detail of every movie. So. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of recalling a lot of this from reading that. Dude, it's it's man, Dustin has written some amazing books, man. He wrote the uh the Phantasm franchise book as well, Phantasm Exhumed. Um you you guys should definitely check out his his books. Like they go so into detail. It's one of those things that like if you love Phantasm, like buy his book because you're going to learn everything there is to learn about Phantasm in that book. And same thing with Taking Shape. The, uh, the book on the Halloween franchise, like literally you're going to learn everything you can pretty much possibly want to learn from the Halloween franchise. And, uh, you know, uh, as a side note, guys, that's why I love the generation we're living in right now, particularly like our generation where fans have taken uh, this shit and just ran with it and go, you know what, like no one's talking about this or talking about that. Like I'm going to write a fucking book yep. about it. I'm going to do like a 45 minute five piece YouTube series on this and let people know what happened with this or what happened with that. And like, we're, we're honestly blessed because when Jeremy, when we were younger, like it was either Fangoria or nothing. Mm -hmm. Like literally you, you had to like just find out about stuff uh, verbally through fans whenever you got to hang out with them and meet other people that were like yourself. Dude, kids are so lucky, um, man. They can go to fucking target. At any given day of the week, and get a Michael Myers action. Michael figure. Myers, a pinhead, Jason, like, fucking, I would have fucking killed for things. that. You name it, you name it, dude. I mean, it's it's way different. I mean, they're 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 definitely blessed. Uh, um, well, we, we we did have Spencer gifts. That's where I got all my my horror figures, bro. Back, bro, I worked there from back I, when they I, actually yeah. still sold that stuff. Now it's just I like, got all the movie maniac stuff. Oh, same here at a good yeah. price. I wish uh, I kept. It was all the five stuff. finger discount, if you will. <laughs> nice. Oh, what eighteen inch Michael Myers? I'm Ooh, I'm actually what? looking at oh, my eighteen inch yeah. Michael Myers right over there. Yeah, the movie maniacs, yeah. the McFarlane. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Probably autographed by everyone involved in no, the movie. I fucking wish. Um, <laughs> But moving on to the actual movie, ladies and gentlemen. So Halloween H2O 20 years later, Laurie Strode, now the dean of a Northern California private school with an assumed name, must battle the shape one last time as the life of her son hangs in the balance. Um, the first time I found out about this movie was Entertainment Tonight. I'll never forget it. I remember that. I saw yeah a clip. And it was the clip of John, who's definitely named after John Carpenter, taking like the rock or whatever and hitting or he punches Michael Myers. And then Molly, Michelle Williams character, takes the stone and, and hits him over the head. And, you know, you see Michael come out from behind the bushes. And I was like, holy fuck, I'm in for this. <laughs> so excited about this movie. Um, and, you know, like. To dive right into the movie right from the beginning, I think the opening scene of the movie is so goddamn fucking perfect. It's the I best mean, it part feels, of the movie. It feels like Halloween. It looks like Halloween. You know, yep. you see that amazing fucking crane shot, and then you see the leaves on the ground. And I don't know how many of you guys listening have gotten a chance to watch Shouts 4K 
ultra HD version of the movie. Um, but it makes it look and feel even more like Halloween. Um, it looks like Illinois. I mean, it feels like what it would look like in the late 90s. You got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, just trying to catch a beer, eating some cookies and shit. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, it, it sets the stage perfectly. I love how it jumps right in, um, you know, and... I actually like the voiceover. I like, you know, that it's not Donald Pleasant. Sounds you know, sounds got, pretty fucking spot on. It sounds pretty fucking close. Tom Kane, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. they did a good job. I understand what they were working with at the time when they were like, we didn't, they couldn't get any of the score elements from the original film. They couldn't get any ADR from the original film. It was all like hidden, and you know, they had to work with what they had to work with. So they had someone redo. You know, Donald Pleasant's iconic, you know, his monologue from the original film. And I've always loved the opening. Like, it's so exciting to see all these different news clippings all over the place where it's like you could see that Loomis is still so consumed by this monster right up until his death. And we don't know what his death is because it's not connected to Halloween 6. So we don't really know much about that. We just know that his nurse, the smoking nurse, is is still living in this house and she's still like taking care of this shit, you know. I love Loomis's little uh, little doodle of Michael. Yeah, with the mask. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. I love to just imagine Doctor Loomis drawing little doodles in his office one day. Yeah. He's like that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've I've I, always I I've always kind of assumed that that was like almost like a police sketch kind of a deal. Ah, oh, I don't know. Never thought of that. Yeah. I like to but picture I mean, Loomis, Your Honor. Yeah, it's like, it's <laughs> like time to co- time to color in the darkest eyes, the devil's eyes. Where's my crayon? <laughs> Even though later in the movie, they're not very dark at all. Yeah. No, um, they're not. I, I love before you know the credit sequence. We get Michael Myers. Yeah, right. Cop shuts the door. We get Ottman's score swelling, and then it just builds and builds, and then. When we finally hear the theme, Ahmed did a, a very good job of making it very orchestral and, and and upbeat and iconic in a way that we had never heard before. Because up until that point, we've only heard, you know, a synthesizer version or, you know, what Alan Howarth did in part six, which is like all electric guitars. So it was very exciting to see and hear that and yeah, um, this, seeing all these n- news clips and stuff everywhere. Yeah, this theme has like, I don't know if you remember watching this in theaters, but there's some bass to this theme. Like when it fully kicks in and it crescendos, it's like, whoa. <laughs> so when I saw that when I was a kid, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah no, when I rewatched great. it the other night, like um, I always have my surround sound all the way up, my bass all the way up. When that happens, like my dogs bark because it's like, boom, yeah. the entire fucking house just <laughs> vibrates on that. But I love the opening and I love how it just kicks right into the thing. And, you know, like a lot of people have criticized the idea of having Laurie Strode being hidden. But like it makes sense, you know, if you're going to connect this to Halloween, too, what else are you going to do with the character? You know, like you have to have this character do something to make herself hidden uh, in the shadows, if you will. She wants to move on with her life. This is what a lot of the, the, the people that have, you know, gone through uh, their violence victims. They've they've dealt with people in their lives that have, you know, gone to prison. Like they're trying to renew their lives in a sense. Like I know I'm going to get some shit for this, but. In my opinion, I feel like this version of Laurie Strode, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, tell me that I'm wrong, is way more realistic and relatable than what we saw in David Gordon Green's movies. I'd agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for, for me, and I, I've said this on probably every Halloween-centric episode that we've done, <laughs> this, I mean, this, yeah. uh, I'll just tell you right now, this this is my favorite sequel in the franchise, and... Uh, to me, it is the definitive end of Halloween. When when Laurie Strode chops off Michael's head, to me, that's Michael Myers. That's the the end of the story. There's Halloween, there's Halloween 2, and there's Halloween H2O. That's the end of the story. I love her depiction uh, of Laurie Strode, a damaged Laurie Strode that's, that's 
turn to, you know, she's an alcoholic now, which I know that David Gordon Green delved into that as well, which honestly I feel like was kind of a foolish decision that, you know, we're like, oh, we're ignoring every film in the franchise, but then you're going to go back into some of the same exact plot points that have already come from before it. I feel like he could have done something different with the character. I feel like going to, oh, well, now she's an alcoholic is just, like, such an easy fucking thing to do with that character. But for H2O, it ca- yeah. it came first, and it just really worked. And then, you know, it gets to a point where she's no longer running from from Michael. She, she ran from Michael in the original Halloween. She ran from Michael in Halloween 2. And it got to a point where finally she's been running from this guy for 20 years. And she goes, you know what? I'm not fucking running anymore. And I just, I love that story arc. It is the definitive Laurie Strode uh, story arc for me. So I don't know, man. I just, I I really fucking love this movie. Even its flaws, which like, you know, let's get the, let's get the cat out of the bag here with its biggest flaws. Obviously the fucking masks, right? The mask. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna get to the masks already, dude. I'm just I'm throwing some things out, man. Like I I love this movie unapologetically, even with its flaws. And like I said, its biggest flaw for me is the masks. Well, well, you know what? We can do the masks, but why don't we get to the cast first? We should we should jump on the cast if you guys don't mind. I mean, we got fucking Michelle Williams as Molly. We got Josh Hartnett as John. We got LL Cool J as Ronnie, and we got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jimmy. I mean, we, we've got a bunch of people. Nancy Stephen comes back as Marion, the smoking nurse. That's this poor lady, just... man. They keep bringing her back in these Halloween movies just to fucking kill her. Like, imagine, like, every time she gets the call, it's like, we're bringing you back, but you got to die again. I'm surprised that when, I mean, Rick was married to her when Resurrection came out, that he wasn't like, I'll put you back in this one. You already died in the last one. We'll kill you again <laughs> yeah, in this no one. Shit. Um, but what do you guys think of the cast in the movie overall? Casting is solid. Um, I would have loved to have seen, I'm sure you guys know about this, but Charles S. Dutton was originally going to be like sort of a filling the shoes of Loomis in a way. There was going to be this detective subplot. And I believe he was like on set ready to shoot and very short notice. They cut that out to, and I feel like the movie needs something. Maybe his, uh, I would love to have seen that character explored because we could have got more backstory on Michael and kind of balance out the teen screamified stuff. Um, and also like make the movie a little longer because this is, this is like a very quick. It's so brief. dude. The movie is extremely short. It's 86 fucking minutes long. Yeah. They could have used like 10 or 15 more minutes of that character, but overall the cast is good. Yeah. I, uh, I dude, I, I've got no qualms. I dude, Josh Hartnett for me. I was going to say, you told me when I first met you, the first thing you told me ever was like, if you ever met anyone that wanted to idolize Josh Hartnett and his haircut in H2O, it's oh, me. Oh, dude, I like, I, dude, I tried to give myself the Josh Hartnett haircut when I was a freshman or a sophomore in high school. I was like, dude, dude, because you wanted to look like Zeke. I wanted dude. to look like Zeke slash John from Halloween <laughs> H2O. I, I mean, I, he just, to me, he epitomized fucking coolness, man. So the essence of cool. I really, uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 there's not one weak player in in this film. Um, Michelle Williams, you know, she's straight up Dawson's Creek status, uh, Kevin Williamson status uh, at that time. You know, she was already, you know, a name pretty much. Uh, fun fact, she won't sign Halloween H2O shit. I don't know if you knew that. I'm not shocked. Yeah. I'm not shocked about that. I mean, she was just nominated for the Fablemans yeah. somebody, this last somebody, year. Uh, so. Somebody posted... Like, oh, man, I wonder if, if H45 could book Michelle Williams. I'm like, dude, she won't even sign that on the Bro, street. She's definitely dude, not doing a... Get the fuck She's out. definitely not yeah, doing here, a Halloween here, here, convention. Here's the question. Here's the question, Mr. Autographer. Will Hartnett sign H2O? Though? Oh, dude, Hartnett will sign anything. He doesn't, He's super, super cool, but uh, I don't know where Sean Clark talked about it, but uh, uh, Hartnett is on the, uh, the commentary for H2O, right? 
Okay. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. that's yep. Yep. like I, I remember hearing Sean tell the story that like he you know he kind of facilitated the uh, the commentary and he was like oh man like this is my shot to kind of pitch him doing appearances or whatever and just from what I remember uh, hearing is Sean was just like dude he immediately shut it down was like no not doing. But uh, you know, one of one of my one of my best friends has gotten Josh Hartnett a couple times, yeah, his autograph and shit, and he's like super super nice. We'll fucking sign whatever. He doesn't care. He's super cool. Well, now he's a massive fucking star because he's an Oppenheimer, yeah. and um, he's, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of H two O or Pearl Harbor or the Faculty or Sin City or any of the other fucking things, uh, Lucky Never Slevin, whatever the fuck it's called, with Josh Hartnett, go see Oppenheimer because it is by far his best performance he's ever done. And it's amazing to see him working with such a class act like Christopher Nolan. I mean, I, I shit you not. He is uh, channeling early 90s Kevin Costner and Kurt Russell in that role. Beautiful performance. It's just great to see him back doing something big again because I love him in this movie. Uh, he's gone out on record and said, like, he likes everything about this movie, Jeremy, except for his performance in this movie. Um, but it was his first big performance. He took this role to coincide with the faculty in which he shot back to back for the Weinsteins same at Dimension haircut. at the same exact time, same haircut. And <laughs> you know what? Let's just make this fucking clear. I, I need to be the guy to make this fucking clear. I'm so sick of this shit on Instagram and fucking Twitter and everything else. Stop talking about the fucking haircut as if it was a mistake. Dude cut his hair on purpose. Watch the fucking special features. Do your fucking job. And in between takes, he wore a beanie, a winter cap in the middle of fucking California, as he said, to quote unquote smush his hair down to make it look like shit because he was so sick of seeing teen actors look perfectly quaffed in their roles. Stop acting like this was a mistake. He did it on purpose. So, Jeremy, he's like you. When you were that age, you're like, I'm going to cut my hair up all fucked up to look fucked up just so I look cool. Yep. I'm with it. Yeah. So, there I mean, we go. I wore Jinkos on purpose, too. <laughs> I look back Bro, on that. We, we all <laughs> did. We all did. I had the 75 inches. I had all that shit. Hell, yeah. No shame. No shame. I mean, it was also at a time where it was like, you know, um, if you look back in retrospect, a lot of the kids didn't really match up with how we looked at the time. You know what I mean? Like when I watched that movie in eighth grade, I was like, you know, maybe Charlie looked more like me than I did. You know, like he had his hair like, kind of like a slash bowl cut or whatever. Um, he's the one stealing the fucking champagne from the liquor store. I'm like, I can relate to this kid. Mm -hmm. You know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm more in line with him. But. You know, at the same time, it's like we didn't really necessarily have that representation for us rebel, rebellious yeah. rebels, yeah. Our, our, our new metal kids at school. Um, <laughs> we hear Creed play for a few minutes in the movie, but I digress. But um, moving on to the masks that Jeremy wanted to talk about, I'll throw it to you, Phil, because we've got a couple of different masks in the movie. I'm very aware Four, that you actually. know the story. You know, we've got the CG, we've got the K&B, we've got the Casper. Yeah. Uh, we've got the Winston. We've got the Carl Beekler mask that he did that was based on his mold from part six. Yeah. Yes. Well, and we see a, a lot of them in the first 35 minutes. So what is your take on this? Um, going back to the intro of this movie a little bit, I believe that's the only time you see the, the Buechler H6 mask. <clears throat> and it looks the best out of any of the it, it does doesn't it look the best like when he, he fucking looks comes intimidating in intimidating as oh. shit like when he goes to stab uh nurse chambers legs and he misses the way the light's oh, hitting God. that mask he looks so intimidating and badass there and then it's downhill from fucking there. steve miner man fucking steve you know Miner. what here's the thing i i like i like the winston mask yeah if it's the winston lit, mask right. The man Winston mask is not the mask that Miner wanted. And all that second unit stuff that they did with the Beekler mask, it was not the part six mask exactly. He had gone on record and said that he had altered it slightly yeah. um, to make it look more like the part one mask. And, dude, when he when Chris Duran turns around in that mask, yeah, it's fucking iconic. And with that lighting and everything, it looks 
perfect. It's like you didn't have to change anything. Um, but apparently Steve just said I he wanted a blank, blank palette. He wanted a blank face, no expression. And then, you know, thank fucking God for Mustafa Akkad. I mean, give me a round of applause right now. I'm going to put it in here in the sound effects for him because he is the God of the Halloween movies. If it were not for him, we wouldn't have what we have now. And I, I, I dare say uh, we're sorely missing his Absolutely. influence on our current generation of these movies. Um, you know, Malik's great, but at the same time, Mustafa just knew what the fuck he wanted with these movies. And he was like, no, that's not the Michael Myers mask. It <laughs> needs to have, you know, and he, he would tell them what it needed. And he was the one that commissioned the Stan Winston mask. And then Winston came in. And, you know, Miner didn't know. He had no idea there was going to be a different mask on set that day. They brought the different mask on set, and he fucking freaked out. And there had to be, like, this whole holdover, like, where, like, they had to, like, stop production. And, you know, producers met with director versus writer and all this nonsense. And then they clearly, obviously, agreed on the Winston mask. However, as we all know, in the movie... They just cut together whatever they had, and we still get a lot of that K&B Casper mask. This is nothing against Greg Nicotero. I mean, Greg had done, you know, the mask in Part 5, which rightfully so is the worst Michael Myers mask of all fucking time in the history of film, um, which is based off his own face sculpt. But at the same time, you know, Greg was a huge fan of the Halloween franchise, and he just did what his job was he had worked on part five and he just did what he was told but do you remember in the uh the trailers for this movie that face-to-face scene when they used the marshmallow mask for that yeah they used the casper mask. yeah it's in the trailers so and i even being like nine or ten years old seeing that thinking that mask kind of looks like shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, he looks like a grumpy teenager or something. He's like, mm. it's, I, it just, it's beyond me that nobody, including Jamie Lee Curtis, because I know she worked with Steve very closely on a lot of things. Like, nobody said, hey, this obviously looks like shit. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, especially like, when you think about who was working on the movie at the time, I mean, the cinematographer had gone out and said, you know, they really wanted the movie to look like, you know, a Dean Cundy shot movie. It's all about that lighting. And when you have that mask, there's there's no definition on it to get that lighting. Yeah. Um, you need you need some kind of shadow on the mask. And that's why when you look at the original Shatner mold, the old Don Post mask, when they spray painted it lightly, it just added that little bit of shadow and that perfect Dean Cundy lightning lighting rather um, to give that look. And we don't get that here very often at all. And and that's the biggest shame in the movie is like it's funny to think back, you know, it's 25 years ago. But at the same time, how how was no one thinking like we should try to make this look just like the original mask it's a connection to the first two the first two it's the same fucking mask you know it's just this and and fans will continue to complain about it forever but at the same time it doesn't necessarily take me out of the movie like it does other fans but you can see where it's the casper mask versus the winston mask versus like you said phil in the opening we get that you know the beekler mask is there for the few seconds we get to see it yeah it's just a big shame that they weren't able to to come to terms with that and actually make a decision before production and make it all work. Yeah, I don't I feel like the mask was always the last thing that they worried about in the production of these movies because it varied so much from film to film to where it's like why? Fucking, you know, that's why I got to give you know uh, a huge props to uh, you know the horror franchises that that keep the continuity a little bit closer to like to where it's like you know it's I, I, and I get it special effects artists they you know they different ones get hired for every movie and everybody wants to put their own stamp on it to be like oh that's my design 
And I get that, but it's like at the same time, it's like, man, like they look so wildly different. Like the mask in Halloween four, and then going immediately to Halloween five. Like, <laughs> dude, those movies came out like within a year of each other, less than a year of each other. And it's like, how is the mask so like? You guys literally basically filmed these back to back. Why is the mask so different? Not, not just the mask, but the dude too. I'm yeah. Like, that dude's like five eight. That dude's like six three. Yeah, it's it's, oh, it's fucking wild. But here's my hope. Deep fake has gotten really fucking good. No. It's gotten really good. Dude, no, I want how dare I you? want somebody to take Halloween H two O and put the original nineteen seventy eight Shatner mask on it throughout the entire film. I want to see what that fucking looks like, man. Do that Ladies for Halloween 4 as well. Oh, yeah, let's Ladies do that. <laughs> yeah. This is the moment where I officially kick Jeremy off the show. And <laughs> I'm with Here's it, where the lawsuits ensue. It's, it's where it's going to happen. Um, I'm wearing a Halloween 4 fucking shirt. I love the Halloween 4 mask. I don't give a shit. It's grown on me. There's, there's a reason why that one looks like shit. They should not have had... You know, a good reason why part five, moving past part six, because the part six mask fucking is awesome. Fucking rad, dude. Um, yes. I love John you know, Carl Beekler. To H2O. He's a yeah, fucking Beekler's god, amazing. Dude. Don't talk about his feet again, though, Jeremy. Please. <laughs> please don't talk about his feet. You know about the feet story, um, right? You never sent me the picture. We talked about Fuck. it. Some For some reason, we talked about it um, after we recorded oh my the god. last time. On the air. <laughs> but... But we have to talk about the Michael Myers scenes in the movie as we move forward. Obviously, clearly, we have, you know, a Laurie Strode in this film who is uh, horrified of her past. And she is so much dealing with PTSD from this. And I dare say this is an early entry in a movie, uh, particularly horror, where we had not experienced this, where we see a character dealing with PTSD and you know like it's a good point yeah. people always bring up like yeah Halloween <laughs> 2018 which I love at the same time but this movie gave us like so many character moments where it's actually perfect you know Laurie Strode trying to deal with just having lunch with the dude she's dating or just trying to converse with her son who just turned 17 and and being this headmistress of this posh you know elite private school this is i think the most nuanced version of the character um versus what david gordon green gave us she feels more real she feels more lived in she feels like more of a real person that would have experienced these types of situations and you know the first moment that i realized that when she's having lunch and she guzzles a glass of wine. She gets snappy with that waiter today. And she's like, yeah, she's like. She pulled a carrot on him. At the same time. <laughs> Jeremy's showing oh, a picture God. of his feet. Oh. Let me tell you something. If somebody came into my studio and I had to massage those things, I'd say, nah, nah I'm good. What, like, why are they? We're looking at a picture of John Carl Beekler's foot, a picture that I took. Why no, Why are then, they curved that Phil way, bro? Would be like, but then Phil would be like, oh, wait, you did the makeup on... <laughs> well, Jason Voorhees. Well, he uh, unfortunately is passed, so I don't think that's gonna happen. But yeah, <laughs> um, but back to H two O. Back though. to I, Laurie I Strode chugging wine and being rude to her waiter. Oh yeah, I, I just think that the writing is on the table. I think that it's perfect. I think Jamie's performance is spot on. And, you know, as the movie progresses, we see the character progress even more so than we saw in the David Gordon Green movies. The movie is very short, and I will give you that much, but I don't think it needed to be that much longer. I mean, we get, you know, her experiencing this PTSD, um, pushing off this new relationship she has, and then she's facing her demons and... It's iconic, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you know, we get her pushing her son off after he gets attacked. Poor Creed, though. They turned Creed off in, like, fucking three <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Poor Creed. Poor Creed. Seriously, though. I mean, th I have the CD soundtrack. They're on yeah. it, but it's like... The com I have Creed the compact off. disc soundtrack. 
The compact The most premium disc. way of music audible listening. But I think that the way they portray the shape in this movie is... I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I, perfect. It, it, dude, again, I really, I really feel like his movements and his subtle mannerisms go back to Nick Castle's movements, man. Um, you know, all the Myers have, have been a little bit different from each other, but I feel like if you put them all in a lineup and had them all do their, their shtick, it'd be like, all right, well, I, I feel like Chris Duran's is closest to Nick Castle's um, for the original franchise. You know, James Jude Courtney does a great job as well. Mine would be James Jude Courtney. Yeah. I, I think. And then George Wilbur. But are, are you going? Gonna, are you going for favorites? Or are you going for for uh, closest to Nick oh Castle? Because I'm I'm just saying closest to Nick Castle. So a long time ago, we did a Halloween retrospective episode, and we did rankings and everything. And for my favorite portrayal of Myers, I went with James Jude Courtney okay. over Nick Castle. Okay, simply because you don't see Nick Castle in action a lot. You see him. Lurking. Standing. You know, you got a few shots of him walking across the street, but there's something about James Jude Courtney, the, the, the physical performance there. He, he was scary, was dude. He, he was very yeah. scary. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Yeah. Being the first podcast to ever interview him, you know, prior to Not him. bragging or anything, but, you know. <laughs> well, it's actually thanks to you, prior to you becoming a member of the show. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I I agree with that. But at the same time, it's like um, there are those subtleties that you have to appreciate, and I think we see those here. So I'm I'm gonna go ahead and ask a question to you guys: favorite kill in this movie? Oh, shit. I would say um, Nurse Chambers. Okay, just because I think the intro is the best part of this movie. Um, it's an actual on-screen death, uh, which you don't get a lot of sure. in this movie. That's one of my other gripes. Dude, a lot of fake-out moments. I'm gonna, and... I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it though. I'm gonna interject real quick. Is they brought back the tone of the original? The original does the same. That's true. The original does the same That's thing. True. Most of the deaths yeah. are done off-screen. You know, Jeremy, I gotta jump off off of you real quick how right you are because this movie came right after like i said earlier in the show scream one scream two i know you did last summer and it still kept steve really tried to keep the integrity of what halloween meant to them at the core of the movie well, you know we get cool deaths and stuff but they're not there's some brutality but it's not like if you compare it to what we had seen in the Scream franchise at the time, it's not anywhere near remotely as close to being as brutal as what they were showing in those I, movies. I feel like they showed a lot of restraint in this movie. And again, I feel like another reason that this is my favorite sequel is because Halloween is my favorite film of all time. Um, and I feel like this one gets as close as any of the other sequels to capturing what made the first one great. I mean, Dude, the original Halloween, there was only five people that got killed in it. This movie, there's only six. Like, they really... That's true, they, dude. That's they true. Kept, That's they true. really kept in line. Well, 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 six and a half if you count Michael Myers. I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely... I, I'm People that, that kill Michael... Or uh, people that get killed by Michael Myers, there's, there's six. Where in the original, there's five. So I just... Uh, I, I love that. For me, my favorite uh, kill scene in the entire movie is uh, Jodie Lynn O'Keefe's Sarah uh, because there was a whole cat and mouse sequence, which is... Oh, so we're going to agree on another thing. That leg snap and shit? Oh, oh dude. God. Yeah, that's the most dude. brutal moment of the movie. And then the yeah. way he looks up at the fucking... When the, you know, the dumbwaiter falls down, he looks uh -huh. up, and then you see him look up again, and then, like... Dude, that's that's the cat and mouse in the movie that we had not gotten in another Halloween movie previous to maybe part four. But part four still didn't even do it in the way that the first two did. This movie actually, like, they really tried to. I mean, at the same time, like, we know that 
Jamie's first goal was to have John do it, and John just said, "No, I'm good." He, he initially he, he was came in for he a was meeting. Into he it came a in bit. for a meeting. Yeah, but, but but Jeremy, you know the story better than I do, so tell the story. But it, what I was told was he came in, he said, "No, I'm good." So you tell the story because I know you know the story better. I, than he I. wanted ten million dollars. Yep. yep. For back royalties, yep. and the budget of this movie was seventeen. Just to put that into perspective, and he also wanted the three picture deal with the wine scenes. So he basically was like, if I'm going to do this, you're going to make it worth my while. And if you're not, then have a good one. Good luck with your Halloween movie. And yeah, I mean, you nailed it, Phil. That's that's exactly it. As he came in and he wanted to be paid a shit ton of money. And they were like, well, no, uh, you know, we can't do that. And he's like, well, it's great talking with you. <laughs> and that was kind of it, you know. And I guess and he's at the still time, doing the same thing now, right? Yeah, and I guess at the time, uh, John Carpenter wasn't really doing a whole lot at the time. This wasn't 1988. Yeah. This was 98. Yeah. So, what was that? That was Vampire's time time frame, right? Oh, around there. Well, I love that movie. Yeah, but... same. I don't. Oh, fuck you, so, Justin. Good for both of you. <laughs> I'll never screen it at Alamo. Dude, Vampires so. is fucking great, man. It's got some cheese to it. Yeah. Jack Crow. Dude, I'm, but uh, oh, it's, if, if, if you guys promise that both of you will show up and you'll get 10 people to come, I'll, I'll, I'll bug it. it. But otherwise, <laughs> three people will show up and go, I like this movie. James Woods is in it. He's a Trump supporter. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I I have a question to throw out to you, gentlemen. Do you think yes. this movie would have been better had it stayed in Haddonfield, because and kept the tone of the opening sequence? Because I think, I mean, the atmosphere was just so on point yeah. in that intro, <clears throat> and it seems like once it gets to the school, it just feels like kind of sunny California. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not getting a lot of Halloween fall atmosphere once they you get know, to the... I, I'll jump in on this because I'm going to talk over Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree with you. At the same time, it's the first time when the franchise wanted to go, hey, we're going to move this on to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I respect <laughs> them for that. And it actually works for me because it brings it back to a location where, I mean, they do their best to go, hey, no adults will be here or there's only going to be three and then we can kill the majority of them off or put them out of misery for five minutes and have Michael be able to go do his killing. Um, I don't I, I don't I don't agree that it should be back to Haddonfield. I like the idea of it being at a separate location. Um, we had seen so many other movies in Haddonfield up until this point. Like, it was time to move on and do something slightly different with it. I mean, we see in Resurrection, they rebuild the Myers house, or they're in the uh, Myers house. That doesn't quote count. And that, <laughs> it does count, though, because it's yeah. technically the Myers house. So, it's I mean, it's like, and then yeah. the two Looks nothing that, like it, you know, yeah. Well, no, in eight it looks identical. In resurrection, eight looks like resurrection looks identical. Huh. Yeah. In eight, and yeah, they 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 make it look identical at the forefront. Yeah, it's the first the, Myers the house interior? that we see. The interior looks the the exterior. Okay, I'm talking about the interior. Well, I don't think well. the interior is exact because if it well, was. That entire movie would be everybody saying, "Excuse me, excuse me, yeah, sorry, yeah. didn't that, mean to bump that, that's into you." Yeah, that's true. That's so true. And tiny. we know Jeremy. We can we can we can talk about it now. We can talk about it now. I mean, Jeremy's hung out with a big star in the inside Myers house. that fucking house, and it's very tiny. Inside the very house, very tiny, hanging house. out with the big star known as Michael Doherty. Yeah. Um, um, you can talk about it now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it was um, it was it was the day before Halloween too. It was it was October thirtieth, so I was like, "Holy shit, this is fucking amazing!" And uh, he was he was renting uh, Judith Meyer's room at the time. It was his he and using it as his production office. So for those uninitiated, Michael Doherty, I'm talking about is 
Trick or Treat. Krampus. Yep. Michael Doherty. Godzilla. Krampus. Yeah, all that Michael shit. Doherty. So it, it was it was pretty surreal getting to go into the house um, and standing in uh, Judith Meyer's room. I wasn't able to take any pictures because he uh, had movie stuff out, production stuff that he was working on. So I asked, you know, I said, "Hey, can I can I snap a picture?" And he was like, "Ah." no please like because i've got like materials out and stuff like that and i'm like okay cool no problem but uh it was it was cool he still badass yeah he had put on a spooky record and like i said it was the day before halloween and i had just come from uh the john carpenter comic book signing that was down the street so it's just like holy shit this is like the best pre-halloween halloween ever what year was that uh it was two years ago i think um i'll never forget it i guess yeah, and because I received a phone call and I was like, someone called me and said, "You'll never forget where I am and who I'm hanging out with." And I'm sitting there watching Trick or Treat, and he's <laughs> like, "Yeah, dude, I'm hanging out in the Myers house in Judith Myers' room, dude, with Michael fucking." I Dory. literally want, wh- and I, I I hung up. I hung up. <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I walked out of the house, I like no bullshit. Like when I was when I you know was leaving, you know Michael and and all that shit. Like and I got outside and we were walking to the car. Like dude, there was like it was like a movie. It was like a slow tear coming down my face. I was like, dude, I just got to go. Not only into the Myers house, but like into Judith's room, which was like there was a uncharted slow, territory, there, man. Like Halloween. There fans was a slow just, bullet I was putting into my rifle that was like. <laughs> <laughs> In all reality, um, you should have asked him when he thought about H two O, though. <laughs> yeah, I I fucking should have. I should have. So, Justin, wait a minute. Who, who was? What was your? Did you agree with me on the kill? Was it? Was it Sarah? Was that your favorite kill as well? Cause you, uh, yeah, it's okay. my favorite kill of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Oh, dude! Every single time that dumb waiter hits her fucking leg, the build up to that sequence. I mean, what they do in the movie. I mean, we know that Minor knows suspense dude he did two of the best fucking i mean in in my opinion he did the two best outside of the final chapter uh friday movies of the earlier entries and um he knows his suspense that's why jamie chose him when john said no uh you know and everyone agreed to it it's just a shame that like he didn't take it as seriously as he could have i mean i understand at the time that um, a Halloween movie wasn't as taken as seriously as it is now, where it's like this, you know, multi-million dollar thing. But at the time, it was just like another Halloween movie. Six had come out. This was the first theatrical Halloween movie to come out in a long time. Six had bombed. Five had bombed. And, um, you know, like, Minor went on to do Lake Placid. And that was also like a very minor hit. Oh, there it is. Um, And now he's stuck doing conventions, and that's cool. I'd love to meet him. But at the same time, it's like you had carte blanche to do whatever you wanted to do Mm -hmm. with the Halloween franchise. I mean, and and I think Steve did a fantastic job. I think, you know, Robert Zappia, the writer, did a fantastic job. I think what Laurie wanted to do in the movie was perfect. Regardless of KNB mask, this mask, that mask, you know, all that. Oh, I, I forgive it. Yes, we, yes, we get a ton of Marco Beltrami's, you know, scream score in here. Yes, we get some of the Mensa score in here. We get all kinds of nonsense. Um, but as much of a hodgepodge as it is, it's a time capsule into a time where things were different. And, Phil, I'm sure you would agree with this to some extent where um, we we weren't really given this opportunity that often, you know, when we got these kinds of movies. So when we got them, we were really excited and we just went out of our way to experience them yeah. and celebrate them and, you know, go head over heels for them. Yeah. I mean, it was a very formative time for all of us. You know, uh, those movies stick with you. I mean, I can look at, say, I know what you did last summer. And I see its problems. But again, very formative movie. It's just one of those movies I'll forgive it 
for whatever flaws that it has because it just it's a time capsule it takes you back to that certain time and place thanks again ladies and gentlemen for listening to this special 25th anniversary retrospective of h2o 20 years later one of our favorite halloween movies and at least ours having film <laughs> well no it, it'll be there's a lot of people that love this yeah. movie Phil's on here from the Spook House podcast, so check out his show as well. Phil, tell them where they can find you. You can find us on Instagram, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. They're on TikTok, too. They pretend they're not on there. We are on TikTok. That is correct. Oh, yeah. And um, for all your Halloween needs, we've got plenty of content. They have plenty of content. We're at epicfilmguys.com. We're on every single social media platform known to fucking man. OnlyFans. Or non-human um, biologics. Well, well, OnlyFans would be Jeremy's thing because he just got fixed and now he can show his dong to the That's public. right. That's right. I can't show mine. So. We'll settle for um. uh, John Carl Buechler's <laughs> feet. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad I can finally a- show that to you. Apparently, we can show that to the public now, but um, (laughs) if if you're looking for the show, we're at at Epic Film Guys uh, everywhere, (laughs) every social media platform. And uh, I'm Justin. (laughs) And I'm Jeremy. And I'm Phil. We're going to ask you to keep it creepy. (laughs) 